So I don't think there are any other announcements to be made. So let's begin now with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here safely. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, designating this day as a day for us to lay aside other things and to gather in your name and especially to worship you. But we thank you also that uh, by way of uh, honoring you and sanctifying the day, we can take time to study your word together. And we pray that as we do now here in this room and in every other place in this building where your word is being studied and taught, we pray that you would cause it to bring forth fruit for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Now, it seems to me that last time we we pretty much got through letter D under mutual openness and honesty, didn't we? Is that... Yeah, were we already in Roman numeral 2? Can't remember how far we got into that. I think we were ready to pick up there. Okay. Um, well, just let's just breeze through uh, those biblical principles related to openness and honesty, because that is a fundamental of good communication. And just remember, when we're talking about openness and honesty... We want to be sure that we're speaking the truth. I mean, that's kind of part and parcel with honesty. Uh, Let's make sure before we lay out statements that we know that they're actually correct. Avoid hurtful, destructive words. Speak in a helpful and constructive way. Number three, um, consider the timing. You know, you can say just the right thing in just the right way, but it can be the wrong time. Uh, Number four, guard your heart. Uh, just be conscious of that. Um, you know, what's what's your frame of mind as you're getting ready to say something or communicate something? And then number five, something we probably tend to overlook and forget. Uh, I know I do, um, and that is to pray. Okay, so uh, number two, Roman numeral two, uh, fundamental of good communication is self-control. And uh, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. And this will uh, serve multiple purposes because it's uh, related to the lesson and the, what we're going to be covering. But it's also, for those of you who are uh, involved in doing the scripture memory, we're, we finished Psalm 1 as of last week, and now we're going to memorize just two verses from Galatians 5, which are the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that are very helpful for us to have in our hearts, ready at our fingertips. Uh, so, Galatians chapter 5, would someone please read verses 22 and 23? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Thank you. Okay, so self-control, and the reason I turn our attention to those verses is self-control is itself part of fruit of the Spirit. If we are born again, if we are new creatures in Christ, we have the Spirit. He's dwelling in us, and uh, He is producing fruit in us, and that fruit includes self-control. And that self-control is very valuable. It's a crucial fundamental of good communication. Uh, as it says on letter A their communication can just be completely derailed by lack of self-control scripture commands us and some of the things that we're talking about here at the end of part 2 are going to come into play very strongly in part 3 and Lord willing we'll get to that Uh, but um, scripture commands us in James 1.19 to be slow to anger 
Uh, it's very natural to our flesh to be quick to anger, to fly off the handle, but Scripture commands that we be different, and by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, uh, we have the ability to do that, and He helps work that in us. In fact, Romans, uh, excuse me, James one nineteen specifically says uh, uh, that we're to be swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Okay? And so those quick to hear, slow to speak, uh, play directly into communication. Um, now turn with me to the book of Proverbs, and we will start in chapter 14. Proverbs 14, 17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Um, so the first half of that couplet there, a man of quick temper acts foolishly, that's a general truism, but even the, the, the very act of being quick-tempered is foolish. Again, it's natural to our flesh, but uh, it's not wisdom, and it's not good for our relationships. Would someone read verse 29 of the same chapter, please? A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Okay, yeah, and the ESV says quick-tempered man exalts folly. All right, so these are just a couple of things, just from one chapter of the book of Proverbs that we find Scripture teaches us about... Uh, Kind of being, having a short fuse, being swift to anger. Um, and then turn back to chapter 29 of Proverbs. And someone please read verse 22 for us. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much Okay, so that gi- being given to anger has to do with a, a readiness to, to blow up, a readiness to, to get angry, to, uh, to be quick-tempered. And uh, I think we just have to come to terms with this, this biblical fact. If, if you've got a quick temper, it's a character flaw. I told you about my friend from high school, right? He, 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 had, a, he had a short temper, and he's really proud of it. You know, he thought it was part of his cultural heritage, and, and he, you know, he, he made it known. But it's, it's not a good thing. It's a character flaw. And it's one of which any Christian needs to repent, and it's one that every Christian needs to uh, put to death. A sin that needs to be put to death. Okay? And again, the fruit of the Spirit includes uh, remember, self-control, yes. But go back through that list. Nine aspects, nine, uh, we might say, segments of the fruit of the Spirit. And among them are patience, kindness, gentleness, and then self-control. Self-control rounds out the list. So our communication, especially in marriage, needs to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And if it is, our communication will be greatly improved. Um, and then another thing, in terms of self-control, and as it relates back to mutual openness and honesty, okay, openness and honesty are not synonymous with just being unguarded about what you say and just spitting out whatever comes to your mind. Um, you can't say, well, I'm supposed to be open, I'm supposed to be honest, so here it is, I'm just going to lay it out. Uh, it, it has to be governed by the Spirit. Um, 
you've all heard the adage about sticks and stones. How does it go? But words will never hurt me, right? Um, yeah, and in a sense, that's right. It's, uh, I mean, we teach that to kids because, you know, we got to enable them to cope with mean things that other kids say, you know, so they're out on the playground, somebody makes fun of their clothes or tells them they're ugly or something like that. Or, uh, uh, and, you know, moms and dads just try to, you know, persuade them that, you know, those, those, are, those are mean things to say, and I know it hurts your feelings, but, uh, but those words, they, they don't really make you what they say you are and all that stuff. Yeah. But, so there, there's, I guess there's a little bit of value to the adage uh, there is, uh, but uh, on the whole, it's not true because words can hurt, words do hurt, and each one of you has been very deeply hurt by words of someone else at some point in your life. Words you can still hear today. You can still hear them, can't you? You remember the tone of voice that the person used when they said them, and they pierced. And so, uh, it's it's in that sense, it's completely wrong to say words can never hurt me. Uh, back in Proverbs, look at chapter twelve. How are words described in chapter 12 of Proverbs and verse 18? Yeah. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, the the beautiful flip side to that is, yes, words can hurt, but words can also heal. So be one who who administers uh, verbal first aid, not who administers verbal trauma. Hmm? Um, and then uh, Psalm, turn to Psalm 57. Verse 4. Someone read that for us. Psalm 57, verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Thank you. Okay, so in the first part of that verse, David is speaking metaphorically of his enemies. He's describing them as lions and fiery uh, beasts. And then, uh, and then in the second half of the verse, you see what he's actually literally talking about. He's talking about people. But then he goes back into the metaphorical mode again when he says their teeth are like spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. So then, there again, words can be like those sword thrusts. So let's remember that. Um, uh, and you know the verse, uh, let's go back and look at it again, just because it is so important. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 15 Look at it in your Bibles. Uh, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Those aren't either-or propositions. And you can speak lovingly, but not be speaking truth. And you can speak truth, obviously, in a very unloving way. But let's do both, because that's what Scripture calls us to do. So, fundamental number two of good communication. We had first, mutual openness and honesty. Number two, self-control. And then finally, a charitable, patient, and accepting spirit. Uh, If you're still in uh, Ephesians 4... 
follow along with me. I'm going to start reading at verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. <clears throat> it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That, la that very last phrase there brings to mind the Lord's Prayer, where uh, we, we pray, we are taught by Jesus himself to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, and that's, uh, you know, that's a bold prayer. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a prayer that kind of uh, puts us on notice, that if we desire and expect the forgiveness of God, we need to be willing and ready to forgive others especially those closest to us. So have a charitable, patient, and accepting spirit. All those attributes, all those uh, admonitions in those verses we just read from Ephesians 4, uh, they, they paint a picture of the kind of people we ought to be dwelling together as, as the body of Christ and dwelling in our homes as husbands and wives. Um, <clears throat> and so what that means is, because since we all mess up all the time, there needs to be this continual uh, Putting off and putting on, as I said in the handout, and I didn't make that up. That's biblical language. We're taught to, to put off the old man. We're taught to put on Christ. And you have language like that throughout the uh, New Testament letters. Um, and it has to do with, number one, subduing the negative tendencies and reactions that, are so, that we're so prone to, the things that come naturally, the things that we do when we're not being guarded and we're not um, uh, being careful putting those things to death, and then cultivating godliness. Uh, back again in Ephesians 4, 23, we're taught to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The verse immediately prior said, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. When I hear the, uh, the biblical put on, putting off and putting on language, it always reminds me of Mr. Rogers. Now, you two might not have ever seen Mr. Rogers. You ever seen? You, you seen Mr. Okay. Okay, well, Mr. Rogers, he puts off and he puts on, right? He comes in, he's singing his song, and he comes in the door and he takes off his jacket and he hangs it in the closet. And then what does he do? Takes out his sweater and puts that on. Now, he does it like that, right? It happens in the space of one verse of a song. But for us, it's an ongoing process that we have to do every day and it takes our whole lives. But we still have to do it. And as we do, our communication with our spouses will improve. Um, so, you've got a couple other verses there on the page. Colossians 3, 5, and 9. Romans 8, 13. About uh, subduing those uh, negative tendencies. Romans 8, 13 is, uh, is very helpful. Because it talks about, uh, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. Let's turn there. Um, and if anybody wants to uh, pull up Colossians 3 and be ready to ver read verse 5 for us, um, look at Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if 
By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So all those carnal tendencies that we have, which, uh, which uh, manifest themselves in our conversation and, and destroy communication in marriage, those are things that we need to put to death. And we do that not in our own strength. Not, I did it again. I messed up. I just got to try harder. Well, yeah, you need to try harder, but you only need you, you can only do it uh, through the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And did somebody look up Colossians three five? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature: sexual immorality, impurity. Thank you. And would you also jump down and read verse 9 for us? Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with this practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. Thank you. Okay, you got the language of renewal. You got putting off and putting on once again. Uh, and one other illustration I wanted to share with you, just general encouragement uh, in terms of the, the mortification of sin in life. Okay, I love the Mr. Rogers illustration when it comes to putting off and putting on. When it comes to putting to death the deeds of the body, uh, what's another word, a biblical word, that we sometimes hear used in that same kind of admonition? What are we supposed to do to sin? Put it to death. And how else is that? What's another word? Think of Christ. What are we supposed to do to the flesh and to the deeds of the flesh? Crucify it. Right. Thank you. Now, Christ was crucified at about 9 a.m., roughly, according to Scripture. What time of day did he die? About 3 p.m. What does that tell you about crucifixion? Slow. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like firing squad or you know being hanged or burned even burned at the stake, uh, and so I think it's not a mistake. It's not um, uh, an accident that sometimes Scripture tells us to crucify the deeds of the body, and I always picture sin, my sin, you know, my remaining sin as this hideous monster. And to crucify the flesh, put to death the deeds of the body, I take the spear and I impale that monster, my sin, against the wall. And he's there on the end of my spear, which I, which I, and I did that in the power of the Spirit, obviously, only through Christ. But he's there on the end of my spear, and he's still, as he dies, lashing out at me, trying to get back at me. He's not going to die right away. In fact, he doesn't fully die until, until my body does. But putting to death the deeds of the body is not a flip on the lights and it's done kind of proposition. So just keep that in mind. Uh, and I, in a way, I guess maybe that's not very encouraging. But I hope it is uh, in the sense that you know, we, we're all in this, this Christian life and we're all seeking to do the same thing. And it's an ongoing, lifelong process. So, uh, any other questions about what's on your sheet for page 2, part 2, that is? Okay, if not, then here's this handout for part 3. Two, three. Oh, you're welcome. Can you pass those around, please? So, marriage, communication, part 3. Do you want one for Tim? Okay. Two for Debbie there.
Got a couple quotes up at the top of the page as I like to try to do, if I can find some, some pithy ones. Uh, the first comes from Stephen Covey, and yeah, I'm aware of his, uh, his theological background. Um, so uh, please don't be offended by that. I had a professor, in my Hebrew professor, he's mentioning this really liberal, terrible theologian, but he, he mentioned a statement that the guy had made. It was really on the mark. Uh, really brilliant and actually very Christ-honoring and edifying. And one of the guys in the class said, you know, Doc, uh, how is it that a man who's that liberal can come up with something like that? And his response was, well, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, hey, uh, not, a, not a Christian, but uh, he had some good things to say. And he said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And uh, since I quoted Stephen Covey, I figured, well, why not? Let's quote John Wayne. Hmm? Um, John Wayne said, you're short on ears and long on mouth. <laughs> I don't know what movie that came from or if that was just a, a personal quote of his. But, uh, you know, think about being swift to hear and slow to speak. And uh, that statement by John Wayne there is saying you're being the opposite. And then Alfred Brendel, who is a, anybody know who Alfred Brendel is? He's actually a concert pianist, but apparently kind of an amateur philosopher as well. But um, uh, he made the observation that the word listen contains the same letters as the word silent. How about that? Hmm? Okay, which brings up the, the main topic of part three of communication, and that is the, the idea of listening. Um, the crucial element in communication, listening. Uh, because communication is always a two-way activity. If it's only a one-way activity, then communication hasn't occurred. Uh, you know, there's the old thing about if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear, did it to make a sound? Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, along those lines, I got to thinking, what if, uh, uh, let's say Ligon Duncan came to Beaufort next week. Anybody know who Ligon Duncan was? I think he preached at the particularization service for First Scots, didn't he? He's a very, uh, you know, mover and shaker in the Reformed world and in the PCA, and he's going to be speaking at General Assembly uh, next week. Um, fabulous preacher. Now, if Ligon Duncan came to Beaufort, and he went into that room and preached his best sermon, the best sermon of his whole life, but nobody else was in the room. Did communication take place? No. Uh, think of the greatest orators, speakers, preachers you can that you know of. Um, and if they if they deliver a great speech in an empty room, it isn't communication. And to go a step or two further than that, if you're speaking to someone who isn't really listening then it's really not much better than having no listener at all, is there? Is it? Yeah? Um, a listener who isn't listening well is scarcely better than having no listener at all. Um, so, uh, kind of like you know, the tree falling in the forest, uh, if we want to borrow that uh, analogy, information has to be sent and received in order for communication to take place. I was sitting in my office printing the handouts and stuff for this morning, and I heard Captain Sanders doing a radio check. Was that with you? 
Yeah, so they, they check the radios, make sure they're communicating, and, and that's all working. Um, so if uh, so, if Mark radios Captain Sanders, uh, then Captain Sanders is going to radio back uh, and let him know that he hears him. Uh, even if he didn't do that, though, as long as Mark sends a message and Captain Sanders hears it, communication has taken place. But there has to be the transmission or the sending of the message and the reception of it. So, um, but how would he know that Captain Sanders heard it if Captain Sanders didn't reply? Well, he wouldn't. Why? He wouldn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he wouldn't know. Uh, but if he did hear, then communication occurred. You know, communication occurs uh, when you turn on your radio and you're driving around in the car. You know, and when, when Steve Williams with AccuWeather gives you the forecast. So it doesn't have to have a, two, a two-way response for the communicator. It just has to go there. Well, it, technically, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're to, in marriage, we're talking about dialogue, so there should be back and forth. But I'm just saying, uh, if there's no listener, there's no communication. So Steve Williams gave me the forecast, and so I know whether to take an umbrella to work tomorrow, um, even though he didn't hear anything back from me. But um, poor listening, letter B, here's two, and I highlighted the poor listening and the good listening because I want to make some, some careful points about both sides of that coin. So letter B is poor listening is a double impediment to communication. It impedes and hinders communication in two ways. Number one, uh, if, if the listener isn't listening well, then he or she is not going to fully or effectively receive the message. The message will be misinterpreted. Portions of it may be completely missed. Other things can happen. And what are the causes... Of, uh, of poor listening. Uh, wh why would a person not be listening well? Well, I think two of the big categories would be distraction and disinterest. And I thought of some others, but they, as the more I came up with, the more they kind of tended to fall into one of those broad categories. Uh, so either the person is distracted, whether, um, whether willfully, you know, like they're too busy doing something else to listen to their spouse speak, or... Um, uh, unintentionally, you, you know, um, that somebody's trying to communicate to them, they get a phone call and say, oh, your kid was hurt at school, please come, and, you know, so there's the, there are distractions that we can't control and there are distractions that we can, but either way, they, they impede communication, right? Um, or then uh, there can be distraction or there can just be disinterest. Um, and again, that can have varying degrees of, of um, shall I say, malice, you know, there can be that, that, that kind of angry, unkind, I don't really care what you have to say kind of disinterest. Or there can be the, um, you know, uh, there are other forms of it, I guess is what I'm saying. Can you think of other categories besides these two broad ones that would uh, cause someone not to listen well? Can I hear well? Okay, yeah, just physical ability to hear, sure. Yeah. It may fall under one of those categories, but um, if the uh, speaker says something that the listener 
that affects the listener's uh, attitude, like uh, irritates them or something like that, then they can immediately shut them down. Mm. I don't know whether that falls under that category or not, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, people respond to, you talking about the way the person said it or the words well, he used? Like or? Whatever is being said, the recipient um, gets a, a, a detachment. Mm. That can happen a lot in theological discussions. You know, you're talking, things are going along nicely when you're talking to somebody about spiritual things, and all of a sudden they throw out a term or, or an idea that makes you realize all of a sudden, whoa, I didn't realize this person was coming from that angle. And then everything that they say after that is kind of uh, colored. <laughs> yeah, or... Um, I remember being involved in a Bible study one time, and I made the comment that uh, Jesus sometimes used hyperbole. And for whatever reason, I just still don't know what the reason was, but the person, there's an individual in this study who really objected to that notion. Jesus didn't use hyperbole. And, uh, and, and that just basically shut down all the rest of the communication about, you know, whatever we were discussing in the in the message but anyway so there's uh, uh, any other ideas things that you can think of that would cause someone not to listen well I'm not sure I did, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, but yeah, people put up walls uh, when they hear certain things, or when they're treated a certain way, or or whatever. Okay, so poor listening then is going to uh, cause a message to be uh, misinterpreted. Parts of the message may be completely missed. Um, so that's the one thing. I said it's a double impediment to communication. It's an impediment because the listener's not going to get the whole message. Whether they wanted to or not, uh, they're not going to get the whole, whole message if they're not listening well. And then the other side of that is, poor listening is then going to have an impact on the speaker. Because when a person detects that the person that they're talking to isn't really listening, isn't really paying attention, maybe isn't interested or is distracted, are they going to be encouraged to keep talking and sharing? No. It's going, to, uh, it's going to impede them, it's going to hinder them in their, uh, in their speaking. I mean, who, who, who really enjoys talking to someone who's not paying attention? That uh, <clears throat> there, are, there are group dynamics to this, too. Uh, you know, if a, if a public speaker is getting a lot of really strong, positive feedback from his audience, that encourages them, you know, it fires them up. Uh, if, if, they see, if everything he says seems to be falling flat, then that can really uh, drain his enthusiasm for, for speaking. And I, I experienced something like this in, when, in my teaching days. Uh, I had this 10th grade Bible class, and some of the kids in that class uh, were just... Uh, unashamed to make it known to me in these little subtle ways that they had no interest in being in there and really uh, you, know, you know this was just a drudgery and they didn't care 
Um, and and I, I knew that. It didn't stop me from doing what I had to do. But then there were these other kids, a small group, a couple of girls in particular, whose wedding later, many years later, we went to. But she and a, a good friend of hers would sit back there, and they were focused, and they would smile. It's just the appearance on their faces as they, as they gave attention to what I was saying. It almost, it's almost like non-verbally they were saying to me, uh, uh, we're with you, Mr. Walton, keep going. You know, and that did keep me going a lot of times. But the point is, uh, bad listening does to the person who's trying to speak to you what those kids that used to sit on the front row and fold their arms and, you know, tap their feet and snicker and scoff and stuff did to me as a teacher. So as you give sermons, you see both out in the uh, congregation, don't you? Well, <laughs> yes, but I try not to read too much into the, 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 a lot of what I see in the congregation, honestly. And a lot of times I can't see... Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be. But um, and part of the reason is, uh, especially under the ministry of the word, sometimes people are hard to read. And one of my favorite examples is, is uh, uh, there's a there's a theologian and pastor and professor that some of my pastor buddies and I know quite well. He loves the word and he loves to encourage other ministers, including young ministers. You know, uh, but when he's listening to a sermon, he, he kind of sits there like this, and he's this fierce look on his face. And if you were to take the look on his face and just interpret it, you know, at face value, you would think, I am just totally destroying this text, and I just want to crawl under a rock. But um, it's, um, that's just the way he looked. He had this very kind of imposing countenance, and, and uh, that's kind of how he, that was his posture for listening. So I guess I, I, I try not to put, try not to, put too much into to what I see out there. It is nice to get a head nod or even an amen once in a while, but uh, I, don't, I don't feed on that. <laughs> um, so, you've got the, you got the two sides to poor listening. It, uh, the message isn't going to be received, but then also even the communicator, the speaker, is going to be um, basically shut down, as I said on the handout there. Okay. On the other hand, though, what does good listening do? You've got to... Um, the same kind of the opposite effect in both respects. Uh, good listening promotes effective communication because number one, the hearer will better receive and comprehend what's being communicated. If I'm trying to listen, if I'm actively listening, uh, then I'm going to receive the message more clearly. And number two, the speaker will be encouraged. So I know you, you all have had the same experiences I've had, where where if somebody's really listening. You're encouraged to, to keep talking and sharing and expressing yourself. So there's poor listening, there's good listening, um, and got a few guidelines, just three very simple ones for good listening. That's letter D on your handout. Number one is, do not interrupt the other person. Um, now, there are times and places where interruption, you know, interrupting a speaker is, is not that big a deal or it's even appropriate. But, but by and large, when someone else is talking, let them say what they have to say and then respond. Uh, and while they're speaking, listen and don't just jump in before they're done. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13 This doesn't necessarily speak directly to interrupting a speaker but Proverbs 18.13 says if one gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and shame 
And really, if you think about it, when you interrupt someone, what are you doing? You're being slow to hear, swift to speak. Whereas scripture commands that we be swift to hear, slow to speak. Uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 20. Does someone have that? Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Thank you. Okay. And that's a pretty, uh, pretty bleak picture, too. You know, one of my favorite passages in Proverbs is that one where it gives verse after verse after verse about the, 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 the plight of the fool... And then it stops and, and sums up the, that, that onslaught of verses about how bad it is for the fool. And then it says, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And it's like, wow. Uh, something similar here is being said. Right? Uh, what was that verse again? Verse 20. The man who's hasty in his words. More hope for a fool than for him. So that should be an encouragement for all of us, you know, to be a little slower to speak and a little bit more ready to let the other person say what they have to say, finish what they're saying. Um, ten minutes. Um, hmm? um, there's an article in last month's Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Very good. Very good point. Um, and by the way, a lot of these quotes that I put on the handout, sometimes I just, I'll be honest, uh, I just find them on the internet, right? Just Google search, you know, quotes on listening, quotes on hearing, uh, quotes on communication. And there are some really good ones out there. You know, you've heard the one, uh, and it's stated in several different ways, but it makes the observation that God in creating us gave us two ears and one mouth. Right, and uh, there's some mod- fairly modern author, I think, to whom that was attributed in one page of quotes. Well, it turns out that quote is very, very ancient. It goes all the way back to the uh, uh, the Greek philosopher Zeno, who, who's the first to kind of make that observation and try to apply it to our interactions with others. Another one that I came across that I hadn't seen or heard before was that uh, God gave us. Uh, uh, a mouth that closes and ears that don't. Pretty fascinating, huh? But yeah, thank you for that. Was it last month's table talk you said? Okay. To go look at that. And again, James one nineteen, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Okay, so don't interrupt the other person. Uh, and just, just by way of practical advice, if the other person is speaking and they trail off and they're thinking, trying to formulate their next words or their next thought or trying to figure out the best way to finish their sentence or if they're trying to remember something, uh, that seems like an optimum time to butt in, but don't. Okay? Just, let them, just give them time to process and to think, provided there is time. All right? Number two, give your undivided attention. 
think of this in terms of uh, of your kids, right? Where you know your 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 mom, you're you're in the kitchen, you're preparing something, or dad, you're to study, you know, writing a check or something like that, and the kid comes in and says, "Mommy, daddy," um, the kid really feels like he's being heard, really feels special if you put down what you're doing and look them in the eye, you know, and listen. Um, and so much more uh, would that be the case in our, in our marriages. Just be willing to, to drop what you're doing and listen. Give your undivided attention to the person. And then number three, make sure you understand. And if necessary, ask for clarification. Proverbs 20, verse 5 sheds a little bit of light on this. I'm not sure that this is the, the exact and the primary uh, idea behind this verse, but Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So whether your spouse is, is trying to express something uh, and can't maybe find just the right words, or if they're saying something and you detect that there's something else behind the statement, something else in there that they want to express, but maybe they're reluctant or whatever, draw it out. That's, that's an act of wisdom. Any uh, comments or questions about listening? Yes? Is there ever a point in a more trivial matter where it would maybe fall on the speaker. Say the first half of the conversation, you've been a good listener, and they're talking about maybe like a hobby. And then it's like 30 minutes and they're still talking. And you become disinterested. Someone. Someone. Someone Just theoretically, yeah. Um. (laughs) Hypothetically. I'm not sure how to answer that question. But... uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, I get it though. And um, who was it? I was with somebody recently who just talked and talked and talked. And uh, <laughs> and oh, I, this is the same situation. But I was I was um, when I was on annual training last summer, I went to an event. And there were several chaplains there, and it was so weird because you know chaplains come in all shapes and sizes, different personalities, and and you know different theological backgrounds and stuff but all of a sudden found all of a sudden found myself with these not just two or but three other chaplains and they were all just complete chatterboxes complete extroverts talk 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 and i just felt like i was being bombarded um and i'm not i tend not to be that way you know but uh so if i just listened <laughs> not very actively at times i confess but um uh but yeah, you know, in a situation like that, maybe there's a point at which uh, you gently uh, say, you know, I've, I think I've heard about all I can process for now. I, I don't know. Just, just an idea. Just. Okay. <laughs> I'll go back to a comment you made earlier in the, you know, when you were finishing part two from last week. You, uh, it's in here somewhere. But, oh, speaking the truth in love. So that could be a time where you're, you know, in, internally you're like, I can't. You can't make it anymore, but you, you speak up. But you don't, again, going to a comment maybe I made last week, you don't make it about them. Like, you've gone on long enough about this hobby. I don't care about it. You make it more about, I'm sorry, but can we just take a break from this? Because I, I, I mean, you make it more about, you know, I just, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a diplomatic way to say this, but you don't know, make it that 
they have committed the fault that you say, hey, it's, you know, I, I really want to listen to what you continue to talk about, but uh, can we continue this another time? Or um, can I say something, maybe? Uh, you know, and then you have a chance to redirect, maybe, away from that topic. But again, and, and then there was, in the context of marriage, or simply to speak in truth and love and say, I'm sorry, honey, but. I'm just not enjoying hearing you speak anymore about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly. I mean, because otherwise you're being dishonest. And so, um, and, and then the response well, I love that person as my spouse, then, again, if love means sacrifice, then you're going to sacrifice at that moment. You're like, all right, I, I apologize that I have, you know, uh, not offended you, but uh, that I've talked to, you know, too long, longer than you uh, can appreciate about this subject. You know, let's... Uh, what do you want to talk about? Or let's talk about this another time when it's mm. more yeah. palatable for you. Uh, sorry, mm. that's just maybe a way to tackle yeah. it. You might. heard him use the word, I'm flaming out. <laughs> Say again? <laughs> what was it? Flaming out. That's an aviation term. You ran out of gas, you flame out. Not to me, but I'm sorry. I'm Well, and you you mentioned, I think I might not be using the exact word you used, but you said that that's a little more of a trivial example. Is that the word you used? Um, And the beauty of that is, you know, in those trivial cases, you can kind of get practice in communicating with each other in, in the in the less important things, so that when it comes to the more important things, you've got some experience in in kind of. You're saying I'm flaming out, or I just I need I need a minute to process what I've heard so far. Or, yeah. Okay. Um, now we are just two minutes from time. The the other thing on the handout really is uh, just some practical suggestions for developing and maintaining good marital communication. Um, some of them I had some scripture verses to uh, to offer for. Uh, some of them I didn't. If you like, we can go through these next time. But uh, let me just run down the list real quickly. Um, uh, as you can see, I did a poor job of editing and, and finishing up there. I was looking for another verse, perhaps, but uh, Proverbs eighteen seventeen is the one that says, uh, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Basically, the idea there, as it applies to our communication, is it's a two-way street. Uh, you know, it takes two to tango, and usually our problems... Uh, are not completely one-sided. There's there's enough culpability to go around. Uh, letter B: Both partners must be willing to change. If you got one who is and one who isn't, then you know that's uh, that's a challenging situation that uh, probably isn't going to get very far. Letter C: Very important. Try to avoid as much as possible using exaggerated language, and and, and definitely always avoid using unfair language. Uh, so when you, um, I don't want to uh, uh, defeat my own point here by using the word never, but it's all it's almost always the case that when a person in in voicing a complaint uh, or pointing out a fault in the other person, if they use the word never, or if they use the word always. It's probably kind of off the mark. So just try to avoid that. Think, take the opportunity to say, you know what I really want to say is you always do. And then let me, if I, if I wait a second and think about a, um, uh, a more accurate way to state that than you always. That's a, that might go a long way to, uh, to helping communicate. 
Take responsibility for your own emotions, words, actions, and reactions. Noah spoke about this last week, and if you remember what he said, it was really excellent, really important. The fact that, you know, uh, Scripture says, um, I think the Ephesians passage is actually, Ephesians 4.26 is quoting uh, Psalm 4, which says, Be angry and do not sin. Implying pretty clearly that anger itself is not sinful. However, comma, in our, because we are sinful creatures, anger very quickly uh, becomes sinful or it finds sinful expressions uh, because of our fallenness. Uh, so uh, your spouse can say something or do something that makes you angry, but how you then respond is on you. And I think that's, that's essentially what you were talking about last week, right? Yeah. Um, so take responsibility. You know, if you do something unkind in response to the other person, uh, you can't blame them for what you did. We, we each have to take responsibility for our own actions and so forth. Uh, don't dredge up old arguments. Sometimes you need to go back and revisit topics or things, but, but don't just repeat arguments. Uh, don't fall into that rut. Um, deal with one problem at a time as much as possible. I realize there are complexities and sometimes you know uh, there's a need to to deal with more than one thing but but by and large if you can if you can isolate problems, compartmentalize them, deal with them one by one and then move on, that's helpful if that can be done. Major on the positive instead of majoring on the negative. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good repute, let your mind dwell on those things. Practice the golden rule. You're talking to one another. Uh, how would you want the person to talk to you? Well, that's how you ought to talk to them. And then uh, practice what Christ taught in Luke 6.35. Let's turn there. Oh, we're out over time already. But let's turn there, and we will close with this. And I'll leave a little time at the beginning. Not next week, because I'm gone, but two weeks from now, uh, for any other thoughts and comments. But Luke 6, verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, for your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, your spouse isn't your enemy. But if we're commanded to love our enemies, then how much more are we to love our, our spouse, right? Um, let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, please make us uh, good communicators. Help us to love one another in the way we communicate, especially with our spouses, O oh God. And we thank you for the instruction that we get in your Word on these things, and pray that your Word would dwell richly in us, and that it would transform us, and all for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. And now, as we go into the next room and, and uh, join our hearts and souls and voices, in worship. Please accept us in the Beloved and get glory for yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.